You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Well, tonight uh, we're going to be continuing uh, part two of a message I began this past Wednesday from our series, Teach Us to Pray. And usually this is a Wednesday night message and I'd like to make it fairly practical this evening, uh, and, and practical in the sense that we could learn how to uh, forgive, because I think that's probably a pretty big issue in a lot of people's lives, forgiveness. It's based on the request of the disciples in Luke 11 when they came and said, and forgive us our sins, or Jesus Christ uh, actually said, they came requesting the Lord to teach them to pray. And one of the phrases there in Luke 11 that Jesus Christ said was, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. You know, part of your prayer life should be that you confess your sins and ask God to forgive you every time you get on your knees. Every time you go into your prayer closet, uh, it's an important thing because, uh, because sin is a big deal to God. And sometimes I think we, we get, we kind of gather dirt throughout the week, and we don't think it's that big of a deal, not really, how mu- not really realizing how much is accumulated over the week. And it's good to keep a short account with God because that's our responsibility as his children. The second and third messages out of that, that phrase there have been on our responsibility to others, to forgive others. The idea and it, here and other places in the New Testament is that God forgives us, and this is a sobering thought, that God forgives us in the same manner or like we forgive other people. And when you think about that, it's a pretty sobering thought. It's a pretty terrifying thought to know that God will look at me and forgive me in the same way that I'm forgiving other people. It changes our perspective on forgiveness. It helps us to realize that, that to hold on to things and not forgive is not just detrimental to us. It affects our relationship with God. It's important for us to forgive because God forgives like we forgive. And if God forgives me like I forgive others, how much forgiveness would I really have? You know, it kind of becomes a sobering thought when you think about it that way. And the, the, the second message in this text that we, we looked at the life of Corrie Ten Boom and how she was confronted with someone uh, in World War II, uh, she, the story, The Hiding Place, um, she, she was confronted with one of the, uh, the, the Nazi concentration camp um, security, one of the guards there, and later on in her life, and she was confronted with that, and that decision, in that moment, uh, whether or not she was going to forgive someone that was responsible for the death of her family. And you think about the grace of God that was poured out on her in a moment like that to help her forgive. If someone treated as badly as she was could forgive, then God can help you forgive. And and then we looked at uh, the actions even just this last week of a man named Brant Botham who forgave a lady named um, Amber Geiger in a courtroom. And And this is the story, and probably many of you heard about it, but Amber Geiger walked into the wrong apartment in Dallas last year and there's a man just sitting on his couch watching football, and uh, she's a police officer, and rather than evaluate what, what was happening, she pulled out her firearm. She thought she was in her apartment and that he was in her apartment. Turns out she was in his apartment, and she shot him right there in the living room and killed him on his own couch. And this past week in the trial, uh, 
John Botham, the man who died, his little brother, who's 18 years old, took the stand. And the words that he shared with Amber Geiger, the, the, the lady responsible for the death of, of his brother, uh, were moving and inspiring. Um, and and I, I read those on Wednesday night. You can probably go find those pretty easily. But he said, I forgive you. And after he forgave her, he went and hugged her and said, I forgive you. And he said, I don't want you to go to jail. Christ had done a work in his heart. And he said, if you'll receive Christ into your life, that's what my brother, who's now dead, that's what he would want. And, and as I think about forgiveness, and I think about the examples of forgiveness, and I'm looking around the room even, uh, having received correspondence from people in this room after talking about forgiveness and the way that God has worked in their life in forgiveness, in situations that really are terrible, hard, things that are big deals, things that aren't small, not anything just to sweep under the rug, that I think God, God's grace is powerful. It's a miracle. Amen. That God could, in, could, could forgive us. And so if God would, for, I mean, if God, I'm sorry, if God could give us the grace to forgive others. And so if knowing that God can, can help someone forgive in a difficult situation, then we ought to forgive when it's a smaller situation than, than something big. And yet those are very often the situations that trip us up. Those are very often the things that destroy unity in a church. Not, not necessarily the big things, it's the small things and the things that, that, that we kind of nitpick at with each other and, and the things that we hold on to. And what I want to look at tonight in the life of King Saul is just as a review before we get into the new material, is how he mishandled this situation with David and it cost him everything. Now, 1 Samuel 18 is, is the story just after David has defeated Goliath and and Saul brings David into his home to, uh, to be his personal attendant. And the potential for conflict here is huge. You know, there's a lot of combustible material because King Saul is the king right now, but he's been, the, the, king, the kingdom has been removed from him, and David has been anointed in his place, but King Saul is still the acting ruler. So here's David now living in the home of King Saul and as his attendant, and uh, the conflict, uh, the potential for conflict is huge. And, and Saul's already an emotional person. He's already a man that kind of lives on the edge all the time. And then along comes a group of ladies singing a song. It says they came out to meet King Saul, but they were really lifting up David. They were singing a song about how David has slain his, his uh, ten thousands, but Saul's just slain his thousands. And, and Saul hears that song, and it triggers something in him. From that day and forward, the Bible says, from that day and forward, that he eyes David. He's watching David. There's something that is different about that. There's an offense that has taken place, and it affects Saul the rest of his life. Here's David, even later in this passage, playing the harp for Saul in his own home, and Saul tries to kill him with a javelin. He had to escape out of his hand twice. So just as a summary, Saul's in a bad place emotionally. He's been rejected as Israel's king. He's paranoid. He's insecure. He's not thinking clearly. And then something happens that pushes him over the edge. Some women start singing a song that hurts his feelings. And it seems like that shouldn't be a big deal. I mean, here's a grown man, a king. And you would think that he's been criticized many times in his life. And you would think that something as harmless as a song would not affect him. And yet it, it, can, it just really 
it irks him. It goes directly to his heart, and it becomes something that he dwells on. So you have the words to a song sung by ladies about David. David's not even singing this song. And those are the words that stir Saul up to be a man of action. Not the words of Samuel the prophet saying, you're a rebel, you've disobeyed God, and, and, and he's taken the kingdom from you. You would think that would change Saul, but no. What sprung him into action was words to a song. It wasn't the words of Goliath there in the valley of Elah, blaspheming his God that stirred him to action. It was the words to a song sung by ladies about David, not even sung by David himself. So he takes those words to his song and it becomes his new mission uh, not to destroy the enemies of God, but to destroy God's anointed man. And for the remaining years of his life, Saul is out to kill David because of words to a song. You know, in this moment, as, as Saul hears the song, he has two choices. He could either just let it be what it was, which is lyrics to a song, some lady singing a song, or he could take it personally and let it become the driving force for the rest of his life. And we know that Saul chooses letter B. He becomes consumed with this offense. He internalizes this offense. He gets angry. He lets it overtake his life to the point that it affects the entire kingdom. He spends the remaining seven years of his life chasing David around the countryside. And it starts with a song. And we say, that is just, that's ridiculous. I can't believe that Saul would react like that. But friends, Saul's not the only one to mishandle the situation like that. See, life is full of opportunities to be offended. It's full of opportunities to be hurt all the time, every day, even with the people we love. And if we're not careful, we'll do what King Saul did. Rather than letting go of the offense and letting it be released, he, we internalize it, we let it fester until we're consumed, and it will eventually cause us to be a casualty. There's nobody that's ever lived that escaped the effects of bitterness if they didn't take care of it. So just as an explanation of the, profit, of the process, just a quick review. Saul's situation starts with an injury. His feelings are hurt. In his mind, David is getting the credit that he deserves. It's an offense. And that's how the process goes. So here's how it is. Someone does something that hurts you. There's an injury. There's an offense, and it may be big, it could be abuse, it could be rejection, it could be a, a real offense, and I'm not downplaying that, but the offense in our story here tonight is not a big offense, and so that's our primary application. It could be small. It could be gossip. It could be words that someone says to you in the heat of a moment. It could be a dirty look that you don't like. And, and the point is, don't discount it just because it's small, because a small offense can become a huge problem. And I would say that the majority of offenses that turn into something big started out small. I mean, there are plenty of big offenses, but those aren't usually the ones that trip us up because we know we need to deal with those. It's the small ones that we think that's no big deal that we don't deal with, and those are the things that tend to trip us up. The offense could even be done in ignorance. I mean, someone doesn't even know they've offended you. And there could be somebody in this room tonight that's holding on to something from your past that somebody did to you and the other person doesn't even know they did it. I mean, and it that could turn into a lifetime uh, of, of chasing someone for vengeance. It could be that a perceived offense, not a real offense. 
It could be that someone, um, that, that you are just perceiving something to be offensive and it's not real. That happens in our story. Saul perceives an offense and David had nothing to do with it. David's not the one singing the song. It's just as real though to Saul as an actual offense. So here's the process. Once the offense is committed, there's a debt that is owed. So there's an offense and now we choose what to do with it. When someone does you wrong, there's an internal sense of justice. We could go to the nursery and see that every child is born with an internal sense of justice. We all have it. We all want things to be fair. We all things, want things to shake out as they should. Our nature wants that, and we don't respond positively when we don't get it. So that important moment comes when you choose what to do with the debt. Because there are going to be debts, and you have a choice to make. Either we release the person from the debt that they owe us, or we choose to make sure they repay every single penny. On Wednesday night, I used the example of someone borrowing my brand new phone. I, let, I loaned them, my, by the way, I replaced my phone this week. So someone do, takes my phone, I had my broken phone up here, and let's just say that Brother Heath is the one that broke it. And I wouldn't put it past him. So I loan him my phone, and he's taking a selfie of his new tie, or whatever it is that he's doing. He drops it on the concrete and breaks my phone. He brings it back to me and says, I'm sorry, I broke your phone, here it is. And I say, well, I gave you a functioning phone. It was perfectly fine, everything was great with it. You bring me back a broken phone. You owe me a new functioning phone just like the one I gave you. That's, what, that's literally the truth of it. The, that, those are the facts. He, he should owe me a new phone if he broke it. But, but I have a choice to make, and in, in that moment, forgiveness is that I say, you owe me this, but I won't make you pay it, I'll pay it myself. So you can just, it's okay, you move on. Now the debt still has to be paid, I still have to have a phone, well I don't have to have a phone, but it's not like a 12 year old girl now, okay? I have to have a phone, mom and dad. No, I don't have to have a phone, but it's helpful. Um, he owes me a phone. Someone has to replace the phone. Forgiveness is, though, that I incur the debt myself instead of making him pay for it. Th that same scenario could happen. And in that same scenario, I loan him my phone. He breaks my phone. He brings it back to me. I say, you owe me a new functioning phone. But this time, I make the choice to say, and you're going to pay every penny of, of what it costs to replace this phone. I did it in my mean voice Wednesday. I'm not feeling very mean today, so I won't do that tonight but but you see the difference so that third step kicks in and this time i say you are irresponsible that's that you owe me a phone you're going to pay me back every penny that the phone's worth plus my pain and suffering because i haven't been able to get on instagram for a month now so that scenario is a picture of forgiveness see when christ said in luke 11 4 forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone that is indebted unto or to us. He uses the word indebted. And the word indebted is a financial term. That's forgiveness at its most basic level. Forgiveness is the act of setting someone free from an obligation to you as a result of a wrong done against you. That's forgiveness. Now, now does that mean that nobody has to pay? No. Somebody has to pay, but guess who has to pay? I pay. In forgiveness, rather than making the offender pay, that, the one that has been offended, ends up paying. You cease to, though, but if you forgive, you cease to demand payment. 
You don't require them to pay. The Bible word translated forgive means to send away, to release, to set free. And at the risk of planning a wicked song in your head, I'm going to say it's time to let it go. We need to, it's not really wicked, it's just annoying, okay? But it's time to let it go. That's what forgiveness is. You release them. You say, you owe me this, but I'm going to let you go and I won't require you to pay it. And I told the story of my nephews and one of them doesn't understand forgiveness. I think it was Ethan and him and his brother got in a fight and his mom made him sit down and work it out. And you say, you know, you use those words that your mom and dad make you say to each other when you get in a fight and you say, say you're sorry, say I forgive you. And you have to exchange those words. And 90% of the time, it's the last thing you want to do. But these two brothers sitting there and Elijah says to Ethan, the older brother says, uh, I'm sorry, uh, will you forgive me? For what I did, and Ethan looks at his brother and says, Yes, I will forgive you, but you're going to pay for this. And it's funny coming from a child because it's literally the opposite of forgiveness. To still require someone to pay for their wrong against you. See, an offense is like someone taking money from me. Forgiveness is letting them walk away with no obligation. Unforgiveness is following them around, reminding them of what they owe me. See, Saul refused to let go of this debt that he felt David owed. And what makes the situation worse is there's not a real offense from David. I mean, David's not guilty of this. David's not the one that was singing the song. It was all Saul's perception. And that matters, folks. It matters because if Saul could turn a perceived offense into a lifetime of hatred and destruction, then we have to be on guard. There are real offenses, but many times the ones that trip us up are not the big offenses. We're just not good at forgiveness. It's against our nature. If we've been hurt, we don't like to release the offender from the debt that they owe us, and we follow them in our minds mentally. We follow them around the rest of their lives saying, you're going to pay for this. Maybe you're holding on to something that you keep waiting for someone else to pay for. And I can tell you this much, that's not forgiveness. And I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying it's what we like to do, but holding on binds us. Letting it go frees us. And we have two choices. We can either release the offender from the dead, which we're not prone to do, or we can cling to the offense and bury it, which is the natural response. But burying it has terrible effects. Burying the hurt is like, planting a seed. See, what we're supposed to do with that offense is discard the seed of injury so that it can't grow. Instead, we find it easier to plant that seed deep within the soil of our deceitful hearts. And by doing so, we open then, we open ourselves up to bitterness. It's the opposite trait to forgiveness, bitterness. It's the effect of unforgiveness, bitterness. If forgiveness is to acknowledge the offense and release it, bitterness is to acknowledge the offense and hold on to it tightly. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. 
That last phrase, Hebrews 12, 15, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. That Greek word for bitterness is pikria and it means harshness or hatred, especially in one's spirit. Bitterness is expressed in our lives through cutting words and anger. It's always destructive. And the fact that it's called a root of bitterness means it's entangled. You ever try to pull a, a tree? It doesn't have to be a big tree uh, to have deep roots. If you've ever tried to pull a tree out of the ground, it's amazing how even a small tree has roots that are just tangled all up in the dirt. And the tree doesn't look all that big, but those roots are all tangled. That's bitterness. It's like a cutting poisonous seed that's planted deep within a person. It's a root that wraps itself around our hearts until it binds us. See, allowing an offense to take root rather than letting it go, it makes us a prisoner to the sin of bitterness. What happens when a root begins to grow? Well, it produces a plant or a tree. And that in turn produces fruit. See, when a seed is planted, the root takes hold, and before long, you're bearing fruit. And if you're bitter, if it's a bitter seed, the plant is bitter, the fruit is bitter. And it's amazing what the fruit of bitterness looks like. You've probably met people, and every word comes across as a fruit of bitterness. I mean, their every look their every response, it's just bitter and, and angry and, and you haven't done anything to them, but it's so entangled into their spirit that it affects everything. So, it, so if our motivation that in the last call, that first message was that we need to forgive because God will forgive us as we forgive those who wrong us, I really think this week's focus is more unforgiveness will entangle us in the bonds of bitterness. We need forgiveness because we will become entangled in the bonds of bitterness if we don't forgive. If you're wondering just how bad bitterness can get, I want to look at the fruit of bitterness in Saul's life. Look in 1 Samuel 18, in the same chapter we're in. It says in, in verse 17, it says, And Saul said to David, Behold my elder daughter Merab, her will I give thee to wife, only be thou valiant for me, and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, let not mine hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. Do you see what's happening here? You see, bitterness seeks only destruction. That, that, that uh, uh, verse over in Hebrews 12, talking about the, the root of bitterness springing up defile you and thereby many be defiled springing up trouble you thereby many be defiled see bitterness only seeks destruction here's king saul he's the king of of israel he has a daughter named mirab and he goes to david and he basically says you can have my daughter I want you to marry my daughter. And to the outside looking in, it looks like Saul's kind of trying to reconcile things. But here's Saul giving his daughter to David so that the Philistine, he's going to use this as a pawn so that David can be destroyed by the Philistines. He's throwing his own daughter into the mix. 
So bitterness doesn't just affect us, it starts to affect all those around us. And, and in our mind, we want bitterness is seeking destruction. We start to get other people involved in it. We're not really concerned about the effects that it has on others. We're just concerned about destroying. And I heard somebody say about bitterness is that which you refuse to forgive will become what you seek to destroy. That which you refuse to forgive will become that which you re- will seek to destroy. Meaning that if you don't forgive something, it becomes almost an obsession in your mind. You're so focused on what you haven't forgiven or who you haven't forgiven that all you can think about is destruction. Here's Saul with David. He tries to kill him multiple times over seven years. He spends the remaining years of his life obsessing over destroying David. He's throwing javelins. He's sending David on missions that he thought would kill him. He's sending soldiers to hunt him down. Saul's mission became destruction His inability to release David from the debt that he thought he owed him set him on a path to destruction. But I want you to notice it wasn't David's destruction. That which you refuse to forgive will be that, will become that which you seek to destroy. But it won't destroy the object of your bitterness. In this story, who was destroyed? Saul. See, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. I heard someone say that bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. In the end, Saul's plots and schemes to destroy David destroyed Saul. And there's example after example of those who won't let go of something. And for years they hold on to something. I read a story about a 73-year-old man named Carl Erickson. And he, he killed a man named Norman Johnson on his front porch 50 years after a high school prank was played on him. For, for over 50 years, this man held on to a high school prank until at 73 years of age, over 50 years later, he finally walked up to the object of his destruction and he killed a man on his own front porch. And it, you can just imagine what kind of man Carl Erickson was by the end. You can obsess over a revenge and seeing someone taken down, but you're the one that's troubled. It destroys you. It seeks only to destroy. And so that's kind of the first thought here is that bitterness only seeks destruction. And the second is that bitterness stains every relationship. It says, springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. See, bitterness is a root that becomes so entangled within us that it affects every part of our lives. Our speech, our attitudes, our countenance. I mean, every relationship, it can't escape its effects. That word defiled means to stain or to die. And if if the kids here at Easter like to take eggs, hard-boiled eggs, and they like to put them in the the ink and, and dye the eggs, it's fun to do. But if you put the whole egg in the dye, the whole egg becomes stained. There's never, I mean, there's not usually a big spot on one side that didn't get affected. The whole egg, if it's put into the dye, it, the whole thing is stained. And that's what happens when we don't forgive. Not only does it seek destruction, but it stains every relationship. Not just the relationship with the person that, that you refuse to forgive, but everybody around us. Because bitterness stains us all over. It doesn't just affect, though, that one person. If I'm bitter, it entangles me internally, and it touches every relationship. I mean, that's what Saul was doing with his daughter. 
I mean, here's Saul thinking, well, I'm going to give Merab my daughter to David. And in doing so, I'm going to say, if you want to marry my daughter, you need to bring me certain, a number of Philistine foreskins. That's the story. And what he's thinking is, if I send David off to fight the Philistines, it'll kill him. Saul is using his own daughter as a pawn to get to his enemy. I mean, bitterness doesn't just seek to destroy. It stains every relationship you have. Pretty soon, the relationships that mean the most to you, the ones that you love the most, the ones that mean the most, the ones even in your own family, the ones that are closest to you, if you're bitter, it won't just affect the person you can't forgive. Your wife will be affected, men. Your children will be affected, moms. The people you work closely with and that you love and that you never set out to hurt, it doesn't just, just seek to destroy the person that you don't forgive. It stains every relationship. We could turn over to 1 Samuel 8.20. We won't do it. But in 1 Samuel 20, we see Saul, and now he's throwing javelins again, which he seemed to be very good at. But this time, he's not throwing them at David. Does anybody remember who he's throwing them at in 1 Samuel 20? He's throwing them at his own son, Jonathan. Because Jonathan has a good relationship with David. Here's Saul. He's seeking David's destruction But that bitterness didn't just stain his relationship with David. He's using his daughter as a pawn to kill David. And he's literally trying to kill his own son, Jonathan, because he's so consumed with bitterness toward David. Listen, bitterness doesn't just affect you. It stains every relationship you have. It it springs up, and yes, it troubles you, but thereby many be defiled. It has a way of affecting every corner of our lives to the point that relationships that we should value the most become secondary to our bitterness. You know, it reminds me of, and I didn't have, we, in our, in our property, on our property there in Oklahoma, we had a lot of oak trees. And some of them are pretty big. Some big oak trees, maybe 60, 70 feet tall and and, you know, wide-spreading limbs and lots of good coverage. And it, I mean, I love, I love big trees. And what always struck me, and I, I didn't have an acorn, so I just, this is a post-it note, use your imagination. <laughs> but acorns are about this big. And an acorn, when it gets planted in the ground, nobody's thinking someday that thing's going to be a huge tree. But a small seed turns into a huge tree, folks. And a small seed of bitterness that just gets cultivated and planted, never gets rooted up, it never gets released, it's never let go, it's just planted and it's in the dirt and it's being cultivated and water's being poured on it and it's getting all those nutrients and it's starting to grow. You don't even realize, but a big, strong tree started out about this big. And I think about the recent tornadoes a few weeks ago. I know we have some members of our church who, I mean, a tree, a seed this small turned into a a tree big enough to fall in their house and, and do some real damage. And what we don't realize is that if we don't take the seeds out when they're, they're this small, 
And we wait until the bitterness turns into a big fruit, a big plant, a big tree. It's a whole lot harder to deal with when it's big. It's a lot more destructive when it's big. It it destroys, it stains every relationship, and what we should have done is rather than cultivate, plant that seed of bitterness in our heart and cultivate it and grow it, rather than do that that when it was small, uh, we let it grow. But what we should have done is take that seed, went right when it was planted. I mean, right when the offense took place. Say, the seed is as small as it will ever be right now, so I'm going to take this and I'm going to drop it. I'm going to take this and I'm going to let it go. You can't do that to a big oak tree. See, if a big oak tree falls on your house, it does some damage. And so in the moment, folks, that an offense takes place, that's when you stop and you say, Lord, I don't want this to turn into a root of bitterness. So please, right now, in this moment, help me to forgive. Pluck this seed out of my heart so it doesn't start growing. Because I don't want this root of bitterness to spring up and trouble me. And I don't want this root of bitterness to defile every relationship I have. And some of you have a root of bitterness, and it's bigger than that seed. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter how big the tree is. God can help you with any size. Big trees doesn't matter. Small seeds doesn't matter. And tonight, there are some seeds in hearts. There are some trees growing, maybe nobody else even sees it. And you're, you're pouring water on it. You're making sure it gets lots of sun. You're feeding it. Because you have an offense that in the moment you didn't deal with properly. What offenses have you experienced? It could be small. It could be an unkind word. It could be poor treatment. It could be a disagreement. It could be some kind of conflict. You know, the Eastside Baptist Church has been through its share of, of up and downs, ups and downs. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are some things that people still hold on to. And Eastside Baptist Church will never be what it needs to be if we can't forgive each other. It could be big. It could be rejection. It could be a broken home. Mistreatment, it could be a a, a death that you've experienced, somebody that you love. It could be abuse. If you don't deal with the offense, it could be small, it could be big. It doesn't matter in that it always turns into something big in the end. And if you don't root out with God's help that seed that's been planted, it will consume you. I wonder how many Christians have a root of bitterness entangling them. And they may hide it for a time, but it is troubling them. And if it hasn't already, it will begin to stain every part of your life. And it's time to let it go. It's time to release the debt. It may be toward a parent or toward a sibling or someone that was supposed to be your friend. Another church member, somebody in leadership. And you say, well, it's just too big. I mean, it's just, it's too big. I I don't think anything can be done. But Ephesians... 431 and 32. Let's turn there. We'll close over there. And by close, that's a loose term, by the way. Ephesians 4. 
Ephesians 4, the last two verses. I'd like to read these together. It says in verse 31, Ephesians 4, 31, ready, begin. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Listen, you say it's just too big. What they did to me was too big to forgive. But none of us are owed a debt as big as we owed God. And if he forgave me, friend, if he forgave me, he can give me the grace to forgive someone else no matter how big. You know, it's an interesting process if you think about it. If you put what Christ wrote in Luke eleven four 4 together with what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, you get this. We should forgive others as God forgave us because God will forgive us as we forgive others. It's a full circle. The two are so intertwined. You know, I've heard it said that all bitterness is against God. And as awful as bitterness can be in how we treat others, no relationship is as defiled by bitterness as our relationship with God. You can't have a spirit as ungodly as bitterness and still walk in freedom with your Heavenly Father. You can't do it. What bitter people don't realize is that holding the offender responsible puts them at odds with God because he forgives us like we forgive others. And if you're bitter, it's not just time to to forgive the person that's offended. It is time for you to make things right with God because all bitterness is against God. And there may be some things that you can't change with others. And I know that, that many people that have valid injuries at the hands of someone else, and you may not ever be able to make that right. They may refuse to hear you. They may be off the scene. They may not even know what they did. You may not be able to face them, and you may not be able to release them from the dead. But listen, you can certainly come to God and make things right with God. Bitterness is a sin against God, but it's a sin that he is waiting to forgive. You might think this isn't a problem for you. But I say tonight, it's, this is a potential problem for everybody. Don't overestimate yourself. You might be bitter if you've ever been hurt. And I could ask for a show of hands in this room how many of you have ever been hurt before. And every hand of every adult, teenager up, every hand would go up. And you say, well, I'm not prone to bitterness, but if it's possible for you to be hurt, you're prone to bitterness. You might be bitter if you've ever been hurt. You might be bitter if you have a bad attitude about someone. And you say, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's just, you know. No, a bad attitude, a wrong spirit towards someone, uh, in my opinion, it points to bitterness. If you're holding on to something that someone else has done, it points to bitterness. You might be bitter if you've ever in your mind plotted revenge on somebody or rejoiced when something happened to them that you thought they had coming. You might be bitter if you've ever been wronged in a big way. You might be bitter if you've ever been wronged in a small way. You might be bitter if someone's ever made you a promise 
they didn't keep. You might be bitter if someone's ever said something about you behind your back that you found out about and you remember it. It doesn't take much for the offense to take place. Don't assume you're above it. Injuries happen all the time. The debt is real. But God has given his spirit and his power to forgive. And I just, thinking about this morning, if, if God can keep my soul for eternity, if God can hear my prayer and your prayer and the prayer of every saint around the world all at the same time, if God can give, not just hear my prayer, but give me an answer to my prayer, and if God can reach the heart of a human soul that is in sin, an unreachable person, if God can do those things, he can help me forgive. Amen. He has proven his might. He has shown over and over there's nothing outside of his reach. He's the God of the impossible. He does things we never thought possible, and he can just as easily remove a tree as he can a seed. You don't have to live with it. With Christ's help, you can let it go. And if he has forgiven you, you have all the reason you'll ever need to forgive someone else. You say, I just can't find the motivation. I don't, they don't deserve it. I don't see why I should have to do this. No, but did you hear what I said? If he has forgiven you, that's all the reason and motivation you'll ever need to forgive someone else. Because what you owed God was bigger than anything anyone's ever done to you. And he forgave you. Instead of living your life saying, you're going to pay for this. Maybe it's time to let it go. Remember, somebody already paid for it. His name is Jesus Christ. And he paid for your offenses. And he paid for their offenses. It's time to let it go. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.